this sermon uh, I called Double Cross, um, the blood and the body. We're going to get into a couple of like kind of a little bit of a topical deal as it pertains to that. But I first want to address why Paul is writing this part. First Corinthians uh, chapter 10 is a very long chapter, like a lot of them. And there's so much in here. But in the middle of this text, his first letter to that or his first uh, words to them in this uh Bible, this chunk of scripture is therefore my beloved flee from idolatry and you wouldn't think that you need to say that to christians you wouldn't think that you need to say a lot of things to christians but apparently you do and apparently paul did and apparently we need to hear regularly because a lot of people think there's people that do this thing called idolatry and they're bad and they have like, I've referenced this over the years. I haven't seen the movie, so please don't watch this movie and then be like, Dan talked about it, so it's clean, must be clean. But there's some movie, a baseball movie with probably Charlie Sheen or something, and there's this little troll doll, and the guy calls it Joe Boo. And it's a little troll, and they have the crazy hair and stuff, the hair I wish I had, uh, trolls. Um, and he, and it's like he's superstitious about having this little idol thing, this little troll doll in his locker. I don't know the rest of it. I, I heard somebody said that to me and I was like, what's Joe Boo? And they're like, haven't you ever seen this movie? I don't remember what movie it is. It might be major league, but don't watch it just because I said it. Um, but it's this idea of like, what is a real idol? Like, what is that? Um, when you think back to uh, Laban's daughters and the old Testament, you think of uh, uh, the daughter leaving and grabbing the idols on the way out. You think about um, little things you might see in New Orleans, uh, voodoo dolls or things that witches would sell that look like what you think an idol would look like. And that is an idol, but that's not it. That's not really what he's talking about here. What he's really talking about is he's referencing this idea. Some in this church are going to the temple butcher shops. Okay, no problem. You're buying cheap meat because it's already been sacrificed to idols and it's going to go bad soon. So you can buy it cheap. That's one thing. That's like going to a butcher shop where the people behind the, the butcher's case are not the greatest people in the world. That's one thing. Who knows what your butcher at Fry's is really into? You don't know. You don't know that when you're buying stuff at Bashes or whatever that they're not praying over at the back going, please, hopefully these strip steaks will honor you, Satan. I'm not sure that that ever happens, but I'm not sure that it hasn't. Who knows? You just never know. But you and I are not stumbled by that idea that that might happen someplace. At least I don't think you guys are because this is a far cry. I mean, a lot of the things these, that these Christians were struggling with in this church, a lot of that stuff is it's different now. Some of the same sins are out there, but some of the stuff is like we don't eat. We don't go to butcher shops like this. We don't go to like the, the great temple of Satan here in town and buy cheap hot dogs. We don't do that. They were doing that. But some of them were staying and participating in the services, in the worship services. And Paul's like, look, it's one thing for you to go and buy cheap steak. That's fine. It's another thing for you to be in there when someone walks in there and they see you sitting in the pews in the back and they're praying towards this God, whatever the God is and whatever temple it was. And the person is new to the church and they've just given their lives to Christ. And they're like, man, I was conflicted about coming here in the first place. And then I see half of the, the Corinthian elder board in the back, you know, just dancing around and having a good time at this temple worship. 
He's, he's telling them over and over again, if you can't give that up for the sake of believers, I'm not saying everybody in the church was doing this, and I'm not saying that this uh, letter was written to just one group of people. It, it may have been written to a couple of different house churches. But he says to them, flee from idolatry. And that's sort of like, it's sort of like, it's, it, we're not burying the lead here, but we're going to get there in a second. Why would you say that to Christians? Why would you say, you guys are idolaters, run from it? He's not saying it, like I said, to, there's not every single person in this church is doing this thing that I just described. But he says in verse 15, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. Um, are you guys wise? Are, when you receive this letter, can you hear what I'm saying? You guys have already disputed that I'm even an apostle. You've already disputed that I have the right to be saying these things in the first place. But he appeals to them based on wisdom, not on legalism. Have you ever heard a, pre a preacher come to town and he just starts coming, he just starts hammering people and it's all about morality and it's all about carnality and it's, it's just like, it just beats everybody in the whole room up. And it's like, oh, wow, that was a, I went to this church years ago in Chicago and I liked the teacher. I liked him a lot. He was very, very good. And he became a really, really, really big, well-known speaker nationwide before a horrible fall, before he was removed by his church. He would preach really, really, I mean, like 55 minutes every single week, like super long for American church services. And I remember some of my friends that were like, they were kind of like coming there, checking it out. And they're like, man, it's just, he's so... He's so harsh, and it's like every week I feel like I got like beat up spiritually, but I love it. That's what they would say, a lot of them. And I was like, well, stay here a little bit longer. Um, that's great for like a month or two or three, but let's see if after years and years and years. Well, it was a revolving door of elders and leaders and everything else. And it was really difficult because it was just like pounding people and pounding people. And when somebody pounds the sheep that hard, it's like something something's probably going on behind the scenes there. I don't know what it was. It came out ultimately with this guy and it was really, really, really bad. But he's like, I'm not coming at you guys from, I'm not trying to take away your freedoms. I'm not trying to say you can't do this and you can't do this. And, and we're going to have, uh, in a couple of weeks here, we're going to get into the uh, head coverings chapter, which everyone loves. Uh, in 2023, women in head coverings, uh, 2023, an awesome, just riveting study. Just wait. Um, I, I, I fear for, I mean, you have to, you have to handle things, you know, biblically, but sometimes the, sometimes the subject matter is interesting for the times that you live in more interesting than it probably was 25 years ago. But he appeals to them as, as, Hey, are you guys wise? Are you open to hearing what I have to say? And it, like I said, in my life, I've seen a lot of legalistic shaming. I've seen a lot of discernment ministries crush people. I've seen, people decide that they are the police force for American Christianity. And they're going to, they're detectives. They're going to figure out what's going on here and what's going on there. And you said something in your sermon somewhere, that means you're a heretic. So uh, we got to throw you out. I've seen this. It, it's really, really difficult because when I read Jesus, I don't see that. I see Jesus trying to lay out there the choice. I see him laying out the truth of God. I see him laying out everything, just the Sermon on the Mount, like, here it is. This is what, this is the standard, okay? Nobody hits it. 
and not, especially not those discernment ministry people. They don't hit it either. I think they think they do, but they definitely don't. And Paul's saying, look, I'm not trying to take away your freedom. I'm just trying to say, hey, would a wise Christian go there if you're crushing your brothers and sisters? And so that's the part, first part of this. He says in verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now, communion, we know this word. A lot of you guys know this. When people throw out like Hebrew and Greek and stuff, I try to only do it if I think it's really going to help because I don't want to act like I speak it, like John MacArthur speaks it. And he does, and he's amazing. Uh, but the, the word is koinonia. And we know this word. It's, it's a word. It, it can mean oneness. Um, but I want to define it kind of in the, in the today, like how would we say it today? Intimate spiritual communion and participative sharing in a common religious commitment and spiritual community. An example, the disciples which were with each other and with their Lord, they, they had this meal. You and I see people eating meals in their cars in the drive-thru, right? We see uh, when you go into a McDonald's, I mean, I don't know if you guys go to McDonald's. I still go. I probably shouldn't. But when you go to a McDonald's, you'll see cars in the parking lot. And there's a lot more people in the cars a lot of times at 12 noon than outside of the car because there's not a lot of people in the restaurants anymore. They're either in the drive-thru, having DoorDash, bring them a Big Mac 15 miles from their house. Can't understand how that would be appetizing, but who knows? Maybe it would be. Um, but there's a lot of people just eating their meal, listening to a podcast with the air conditioning on, sitting under a tree. I see it all the time. Meals in their day were so different. And it's, it's a lot closer to what we're going to do when we eat in a few minutes. It's a lot closer. And so the, the disciples that were around Jesus shared everything. They shared stories. They shared life. They shared food. They shared drinks. Everything. But a lot of it was dipping your piece of bread into the collective stew, into the collective soup, if you will. We have, um, there's, there's, there was a meme on uh, Seinfeld, I'm sure you guys have heard of the show Seinfeld, where the character George double dips a chip in the salsa. It was like 30 years ago um, episode, but it's still around and he, he's eating, he, he dips the chip and then he eats it. And then this kid's watching him do it. And he dips again. And the kid comes over like a cop. He goes, Hey, what are you doing? He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, you just double dipped. He goes, what? Is that a thing? He goes, you just double dipped your chip. We don't like, we don't like that, right? COVID. We really don't like it. Don't get, I mean, put your mask on and, and don't eat anywhere near me. And like, we're, we've been programmed to go the opposite of this, not to, not to be like, Hey, can I have a sip of your water bottle? I'm dying. Ooh, yucca. Like we, that's where we're at now. That's where America's at. So to sit down with these guys, to lounge on one of these little tables, it's like a foot and a half off the ground, to lay, like to, to relax at the end of the day and to eat a meal like this. And when you get fresh baked bread, talk to me about Texas rolls or puffy rolls or a baker that makes a, a brand new fresh uh, French bread and then you dip that in the oil. You sit at an Italian restaurant and they throw those little spices in the oil. When you're with people that you like and you love, like you all dip out of that thing. Sometimes you chew and sometimes you go back in. No one's ripping you. But if you sit down at a business meeting, that's not going to happen. People are like, hey, can we get our own bowls here? Uh, like, can't you be sensitive to COVID or whatever? It's just, a, it's a different mentality. And so meals were intimate. 
um, everything was so different from the perspective of like how sharing, like somebody comes to town, you're like, Hey, there's a Marriott nearby. Yeah, I know. But I was hoping since we're like friends and stuff, I could stay at your place. Oh no, I don't do that. <laughs> but I'll, I'll like, I'll spring for half of the Marriott for you. That's where we're at. It's just everything's so this part, we have become separatized. We have become like closed off that communion. Those people had that meal. They have that last supper meal. That was so huge. And so he makes the point, the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. We're going to spend the rest of our li- our, our lives um, time on this. But I want to read a couple, of, uh, uh, a couple of commentary things uh, that I think really would help us out on this. But it's this idea, I talked about this during Ephesians last year, this idea of when you become a Christian, the union that you have with God. When you get married, it's, the, the Bible says, to become one flesh. How do two people become one? It's a, it's a beautiful picture. It's difficult to do. Marriage is difficult. Everybody knows that that's been married. It's not easy to have two wills merge into one will. But when we come to Christ, when we give our lives to Christ, we become one with him. He says this uh, in, um, I want to read, read 17, or excuse me, 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is, uh, excuse me, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel, after the flesh, are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? We'll get into Israel in a second. But this idea of union, this idea of what is the blood and what is the we take the elements sometimes so quick that we don't really take the time to fathom not just the cost. I don't know that we ever could really fathom the cost that Christ went through, but like, what is this doing? I talked about this uh, when we did the study in Ephesians. When when the Israel um, when Israel was was leaving Pharaoh, that before the Passover lamb was was given to them, they had the they had to take this lamb. They had to sacrifice this lamb. They had to take the blood and put it on the lentils, put it on the doorposts. And then they had to eat the lamb in its entirety. And the, the lamb, and they said, hey, if you, have a, if you have a smaller family, then share one, but eat it completely, leave nothing behind. And, and there's so much to that too. Like you're not, you just got to leave this place, leave where you guys are, are living right now, leave it behind, leave it in the rear view. But that body of that lamb was the sustenance. It was, it was how they sustained themselves to walk so far. Have you ever walked on a trail with just a group of people and you have people of every different age group? You don't get very far before first somebody's like, oh, my feet hurt or I need water or whatever. We're talking lots of miles and we're talking over a million people. And so God got them ready. But the idea of the blood was what did not kill their firstborn. How I mean, they didn't have Christ. They didn't have the gospel. They didn't have New Testament scriptures. They believed God the same way Abraham was committed was considered righteous. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. They believed God and they were not under that specific curse, the death angel passing through. And so the blood saved that firstborn, saved the, the household, and the body sustained the household. It gave them the ability to live life. It was the meal. And that is part of this union, that many become one. Uh, this 
is something I got to tell you. I never heard this. Maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I'm pretty sure I never heard somebody preach on 1 Corinthians 10, 17, this idea of this union. Um, this is something that you rarely hear a lot of teachings on because it gets into, people understand physical, they understand today, they understand what they can touch, they understand the new iPhone, they understand technology, they understand that. But they have a very hard time with the spiritual, what happened when I gave my life to Christ, what happened inside of me. They do. It's just, it's just the way it is. I mean, this book, um, I love this book, The Rest of the Gospel, and we talk about um, this, we're going through it um, in the youth right now where it's a discipleship book. We, we've been through it. We're like halfway through maybe, and we've been going like nine months in this book. But I want to read something that Dan Stone um, wrote about it. He says, this aspect of the cross, this double cross, that's why we named it this. I stole his, um, I stole his uh, title. The aspect of the cross that we died with him is what I call the double cross. There are two sides to the cross. The first is the blood side. That's where Christ died for us. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. The second side is the body side. We were united with him on the cross, participating in his death, burial, and resurrection. The, the picture of this is baptism. When we submit somebody to baptism under the water, we don't do it because it's like, oh, you're not saved if you didn't do it all the way under the water. It's a beautiful picture, though. It helps us understand it. It helps us see it. Um, I think it's, I mean, that's why we do it here. I love I love doing it that way. Um, our old man was crucified with him. Our new man, righteous and holy, was resurrected with him. These two sides of the cross are not unfamiliar to us. We celebrate them every time we take communion. We eat the bread, we drink the cup, except most Christians don't have a clue as to what the bread representing the body really means. He says that this is a pastor for years. This is a guy who spoke to churches for 20 years and pastored for 15 or 20. Most Christians don't understand what that means. That is scary if it's true. And I don't have any reason to believe that whoever says they're a Christian in this country, that they could really explain this well. Like they really, really have digested it like mentally. It means that we were united with him and that when he died, we died. When he was buried we were buried. When he was raised, we were raised. The heart of Paul's theology is built on the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood. Christ died for us and we died with him. We don't feel dead. We don't look dead. We often don't act dead. But at some point, the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain and shows us that the deepest part of us, our spirit, who we really are, a death has occurred that has forever changed us. We're going to look the same, feel the same, and think the same on many days. But we're going to know something. We're not the same. In the unseen and eternal realm, an exchange has taken place in our spirit that once we know it, produces through us a quality of life that's different from anything else the world has seen. It's light in the darkness. It's other love in a world of self-love. That's the culture we live in now. It's desirable and it's in us. Now that's the short way of, of putting it. That's the, the, the paragraph and change. When you give your life to Christ, if you're really, really little, like, like a lot of kids go to VBS and they raise their hand and stuff, they're not going to know this. It's a process. Sanctification is the process of God bringing you along in the faith. But 
there's also people who go, well, yeah, I gave my life to Christ at some thing when I was little, never been back to church, don't really ever think about it, don't even own a Bible. Well, that's a Christian in name only, likely. I'm not trying to judge someone's salvation. I'm just saying if somebody has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christ at all, but when you ask them, hey, real quickly for a, for a poll, could you tell me, are you an atheist? Are you a Christian? Are you a Buddhist? And they go, of those three, a uh, Christian. That's half of America. That's, according to Wikipedia, 65% of America would say that. Hard to believe. When you see 65% of America out there, it's hard to believe that they would say that, but they would. And I'm telling you, I've met lots of them. I've polled lots of them. I've sat on planes and buses and stuff. And, you know, when you're opening a Bible or prepping or some people go, hey, what's that? What's that? that book looks really old. What is that? Why? Because everybody's on a phone reading a book now? Yeah. Well, why do you, that Bible's the size of our airplane seat. Could you be more considerate? When you ask people, they say that. I've had conversations with people for 20 minutes and I'm like, whoa, this person's so far away from God. It's not even funny. And they're like, yeah, I'm an elder at my church uh, in uh, Memphis. What church is that? Uh, Christ Life Church. Really? Tell me about that. Tell me more about that. And then things sort of clean up a little for the remainder of the time or whatever. It's, it's understanding this that changes you. It's truly understanding that you aren't like God didn't just like save you and leave you to struggle. He didn't. There are people who think that. I think it's probably more deistic uh, type of thing. Like God like started stuff and he kind of just left us to spin and one day we'll see him somewhere. I don't know. That's kind of, that's out there. That, that belief is out there. But this idea of union, like a lot of Christians know my sins are forgiven. What else? Uh, my sins are forgiven. Do you know much more? This is much more. This is what he's trying to get this church to understand. Your freedoms are awesome, but they indicate something when you won't give them up. They indicate what's going on in the heart. So he says, what am I saying? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? Once again, they, a lot of these people thought, and eh, it's not a big deal because we're Christians. So I don't care what they're saying to that wooden stick up there at the end of the, at the end of the butcher shop. I don't care that they're all like cutting themselves, dancing around in a circle. I find it entertaining. That's why I'm there. It's really boring here in Corinth. No, it wasn't boring. It wasn't a boring, there was a lot to do, but why are you there when you're crushing other new believers and people in the church that are like, why, why does half our church go to this? I don't even get it. Like if half of this church was like, Hey, we're going to a a, like an interesting Mardi Gras thing afterwards. And uh, don't bring children, just just to say. Uh, it's for not for their eyes. We'd probably wonder, really, what's going on? What are, we, what are we believing about our freedom in Christ or what are we believing about Christ that would in, indicate that we could go do something like that um, as, as a group of, of believers? So he's like, well, what, did I say that an idol is anything? No, an idol isn't anything in and of itself. I can make one. I can whittle one out of wood and go, that's an idol. But when you're worshiping something that is not Jesus Christ, what are you worshiping? There's only two places to end up. There was the choice of good and evil. Evil is Satan. Purity and holiness is God Almighty. That's it. There's no third direction. Uh, this country would tell you there's like 50 directions, but there's not. And according to the pop band, there's not just one direction. Um, there's two. You could go. I had, to, I had to throw a Harry Styles in there somewhere to prove that I'm not over 50. Um, 
But he says, rather, that these things which the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Okay, so kick back up to Israel. Israel worships God, right? They, they, they take a sacrifice and they bring it to the priest and, and it atones for sin. The, the, the scent, the, uh, we talk about the, the aroma, a sweet, soul, swell, uh, sweet smelling aroma to God, that, that that altar, that smoke, that barbecue, that did go up to God. And, th- and then there was also partaking of the animal. And so what you're worshiping, what you're like doing in this temple, in their temple, affects you. A lot of people go, I can do this and this and this, and it doesn't affect me at all. Or I I can listen to, you know, this band or whatever, and it doesn't affect me. But you're lying to yourself if you think that listening to something that is blatantly not Christian won't affect you on some level. Does that mean that you can never listen to uh, a non-Christian song again? No, I'm not going to take, I'm not going to put anything on somebody else because you do have freedom. But it's different listening to an old, you know, John Denver song than listening to Pantera, if you guys know who that band is, or another Satan-esque, like, heavy metal band that there's a lot of that. When you listen to that stuff all day long, when you listen to disgusting lyrics all day long, it does get in there. It does affect you. They say garbage in, garbage out. When Israel was doing their best, they were staying with just God. They weren't going off and doing these other things. That, I mean, they did a lot of bad stuff, but when they were doing good, it was just God. It was only God. It was only worship of God. He's saying, you guys are coming to church on Sunday and doing this, and then Saturday night you're out at the, at the butcher shop with the satanic worship. That affects you. And though I'm not trying to take your liberty from you, you need to look at your liberty and see where it's stumbling you. Because what's an idol? It's nothing. But what is it really offering to? What is the off, what is behind it? He says um, a specific idol. Um, I'll, I'll say this: a specific idol may have a generalized look. When you look at uh, like one of these places where you the graven images or whatever, um, there's shops. When you go to these these weird towns, places like Ybor City and and, Mar- and uh, New Orleans and stuff, they have these little like shops where you're like, man. I wouldn't buy one thing in that shop. I don't even want to go in that shop. If you're walking with Jesus and you see like a shop that's like uh, black arts and uh, voodoo dolls sold here, you're like, why would I? Why would I even want to go in there? Like, now if you're making a joke or interviewing the guy or whatever, okay, I'm sure there's an excuse to to walk in there and talk to the guy. Um, but it's just like when you see it's like, hey, we're blatantly for Satan. If you're a Christian, that should like rub you the wrong way. Like going to fellowship in there, going to buy stuff and be like, oh, they're just little idols. They're so cute. Like I'm going to buy it. We're on vacation. We're going to buy them for our kids. Uh, Okay. You know, but they might, they might have a generalized look. When you and I see a little statue that looks like a little Buddha or something at Ross right next to a Jesus one, you're like, hey, Ross, what's going on here? You guys double dipping? Um, Because they are. They're selling Christian stuff right next to the Buddha stuff. But, and, and I will still buy the, the Christian signs and some of these signs up here, buying my wandering heart to the, right next to the Buddha. Um, that's where we bought it, literally right next to the shelf on the Buddha. It's crazy. But it's different. I mean, Ross isn't being like, hey, we love Satan. Like, well, that's all we're about. Um, I mean, somebody's got to buy TJ Maxx's old coffee, you know, and that's Ross and that's where you get it. 
But the truth is that an idol is anything that is elevated to a God thing. I'll say that again. Anything that's elevated to God Almighty's position in the life of a Christian. And we're only talking about Christians. If somebody is a Christian, truly a Christian, then God has to occupy spot number one. And so an idol is anything else for that. Um, some some preacher said uh, it's elevating good things to God things. They're not all little dolls. Uh, idolatry isn't just little, like I worship God and then I love this little idol that I pray to every morning for good luck. It's not that. Sometimes it's money. Sometimes it's a weird relationship. Sometimes it's, it's uh, just possessions in general, materialism. Sometimes that is idolatry. And we struggle. Like in this life, we struggle with these things. But for a Christian to truly enter into this relationship, and I mean like realistically, they have to take these words to heed. They have to heed these words. David Lowry says, the same was true of pagan worship. It was true that an idol was nothing, but the ultimate reality behind pagan pagan religion was demonic. Pagan sacrifices were offered to demons, not to God. Through his minions, the God of this age blinded unbelievers and kept them from the truth. Second Corinthians chapter four. There could be no union for good between Christ and Baal. So those who were, who were the temple of God should shun the temple of the idols. No magical contamination was conveyed, but the corrupt character of the participants would be harmful for believers. Sometimes you, you hear people say, well, I go to, I do this thing, whatever this thing is. There's all these new things now given to us by apps on our phones. And you're like, huh, I learn about new apps every single week. Like you probably should know that this exists. I don't really want to know, but people send me stuff and people tell me stuff. And sometimes my kids are like, oh, you don't know about that. Like try not to, but I can't just be under, be, live in a cave either. Idolatry affects every single person. On some level, um, there's a there's a book that I was reading um, last year called "Lord, I'm Torn Between Two Masters." To be human being, to be a human being, is to struggle. We struggle in a in a world where just I mean, you can get into bad stuff in two seconds, but I just mean like good stuff, good things, family, relationships, church, serving. There are many pastors who would tell you that that. Serving God is what I wanted to do, and serving ministry was my idol. Doesn't sound that bad, right? Well, if that's your idol, that's a good one. No, no idol is good, by definition. No idol is good. All idols are bad. Anything that takes God's place and finishing it up, why? You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? People go, well, jealousy is bad. Not being jealous for something. That's not bad. Being jealous of some of what somebody has is different. That is a heart issue. But jealousy in its, in its true form, being jealous for something good is not a bad thing. Now, once again, in our culture, uh, words are just, the words are like weapons. There's so many things you can't say. There's, so, there's things I don't say now that I would have said thinking they were fine 10 years ago. Just don't say it now because it all goes out into the internet and people stumble over words that you say. Wait until we get to head coverings. 
Um, it's tons of fun. But once again, the real question for the people in Corinth, the question for us, is are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Should I do this thing? Should I not do this thing? Because it's easy for the Sunday school answer on that one. Well, of course not. We would never do that. What's the answer? Every little kid in the children's ministry can, can answer this. Should we provoke the Lord to jealousy? No, of course not. Do we do it? Yes. Not everybody, not all the time, but at some point in our lives, there's been something that occupied God's spot of number one. So it's not just people that worship little statues. The church does not really, the, the collective church, I'm not saying anybody specifically here, the collective church doesn't really like messages like this one. Messages on obedience and messages on like what we would call idolatry. Let's let's clean it up and call it out of whack priorities spiritually. That's what we would maybe say today. But we would never want to make the Lord upset or jealous if we're truly trying to honor him with our lives. But actions speak louder than words. And once again, we have to allow for people in our fellowship, allow for people in our lives that are growing in Christ. We have to allow for tough questions. We have to allow somebody else, not somebody who doesn't know you off the street, but somebody in your life that God has placed in your life that can speak truth to you and can say, hey, just a question. Is this going on in your life? Are you still struggling with this? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? I don't want, I'm not trying to get gossip to tell somebody. I'm just trying to help you because that's what brothers and sisters should do. Not what some of these Corinthians were doing, which was stumbling brothers and sisters. Lastly, we live in a culture where idolatry is the norm. Whether or not you know it or not, America is an idolatrous nation, <laughs> like in a, in, in a level that is almost unprecedented. People now look to pleasure and anything that can bring pleasure to their lives for all day life. A very self-centered culture is a nice way to put it. As believers in the fellowship, in the beloved, in Jesus, not only do we need to be different, we need to be authentic real, not religious, not religiosity, not people who, oh yeah, that guy, that guy could never understand me. He's, he's perfect. Well, if you've, if you've made people feel that you are, that might be a problem. <laughs> I would say it is a problem. The spiritual realm though, people can feel it. People in my life, I've had several people say this to me and I love this more than anything, not because of me, because God, it's evidence God gives me that encourages me. When somebody says to you, you have a light in your, in your eyes. What's, what's different about you? It's the greatest thing in the world because it just opens up the door because they are genuinely curious about it because they saw something that wasn't fake. They saw something that wasn't like, well, it's a religious show. That's what it is. That's what you saw in my eye. No, they're not gonna, if, if you act religious, they're probably never gonna even approach you. But to be realistic, to be authentic, to live your life for God when no one's watching, when they are watching, they're going to ask about it. I'm way over on time because we have a closing song, don't we? All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, this text. And uh, though sometimes it, uh, it uh, comes at us and uh, it's very convicting. These, these things are very convicting that Paul writes. Um, God, help us to approach them with humility. Uh, when, when people talk to us, um, God, that we would be open to hear open to challenges, not just shut them down. 
Um, but God, I, I'd also pray that you would bring people in all of our lives that can help us run the race, uh, to run it for you, to run it better. In Jesus' name, amen.